the marinade. There's no O in marinade. Let's try it one more time. Ready? One, <laughs> two, three. <laughs> the marinade. Marrow. Marrow. Marinade. Bone marinade. The marinade. The marinade. With Jason Earl. Welcome to The Marinade with Jason Earl, a free-flowing conversation about the creative process with creative people. This is episode 111, and our guest is the legendary John Doe. John Doe is a singer, songwriter, poet, actor, and multi-instrumentalist, perhaps best known as co-founder of the seminal 1980s LA punk band X. The influence of X on generations of musicians cannot be overstated. John has gone on to release wonderful solo records, including his latest, Fables in a Foreign Land, which was released on May 20th, 2022. We talk about that record, his time with X, and just really go deep on creative process during this conversation. Everyone, it is a huge honor to bring you my conversation with John Doe. happening man excited to speak with you thank you so much for doing this i'm sorry i'm a little late but the last interview went over a little bit it's all good it's all good and let please let me know if um if i start to go over anything because i have so much to talk with you about and i'm so thrilled for this opportunity Uh, it's all good (laughs) wonderful well man i i've been listening to fables in a foreign land for a few weeks now at your forthcoming record and buddy it is wonderful i mean just like just such a fantastic piece of work and so i'm really excited for folks to hear it and i just want to say first of all thank you for this amazing record well you're welcome i'm i'm totally flattered i mean yeah It, it there's just like this whole kind of it creates this world right it creates this kind of it puts you in a place and um and I'm really interested to unpack sort of how it came about because there's there's a, a vibe to it and there's something about you with just bass and drums. That's pretty much it, right? I mean, you with yeah. you're, you're your guitar, bass and drums on this thing. There's something about that that is both spare and also so full, right? Like mm. it's there's like um there's such a fullness to the record, but at the same time, it's just those kind of three main elements or four main elements, however you want to look at it. And so I'm curious about that decision um, to to, to go with you, bass, drums, um, and then sort of like using that as a jumping off point to talk about how this record came together. Right. Uh, Well, 
I had the idea to do this folk trio, uh, I don't know, six or seven years ago and worked with some people that I'd worked with on earlier records that were more kind of rock or blues, you know, country, you know, that had a lot more interest, had more instruments and was more produced and, and overdubs and, you know, like a, a, a record the way people have made records for the last 20, 30 years or more, 40 years, 40 years or more, 50 years. Um, and so then we never really got that thing that I had in mind. We never, but it was good. It was good, but we never really got there. And um, uh, getting locked down and just going out to Kevin Smith's, uh, the bass player's backyard, uh, just to do something, you know, to, to remind ourselves that, yeah, we, we play music because neither one of us were on tour. And and then we asked Conrad, who we'd played with before, Conrad Chacroon, to come in and, and do that. And there's a, in, in recording and in playing, everybody's got to fill up every space. Mm. It's just like, oh, here's a little space. I'll put this guitar in there. Oh, here's a little space. I'll put a piano in there. And here's a little space. I'll put some, you know, whatever it is, pedal steel. And, and it's beautiful, but sometimes it's just too much. And I, and I kind of got, um, I got kind of tired of it. And then with lockdown, we just had the three of us. And we weren't inside, it was all outside. So it was just the acoustic instruments. And we had the time to kind of work. They were the right players. And we had time to work on this sort of sound that we came up with. Um, bit by, you know, just bit by bit. And applying it to either an X song or another cover song or, you know, whatever. It's like, oh yeah, this has, the reason that it sounds full to me is because it's asking the audience, the listener, to fill in the gaps mm. like okay because you saying i created this world that you can just kind of roam around in that's like that's exactly that's like the biggest compliment that's exactly what i think a lot of people want want to create in in art it's like i just want you to come into the world that i've kind of envisioned and if you do that then my job's done I, you know, I've been spending mornings with it and just sitting with these headphones on in front of my mm. computer listening and they're, and they're to, to, to further illustrate that point of how you can get lost in it is like, it just, everything else kind of seems to go away. Right. When I'm listening <laughs> to that record. Um, and I think that's interesting too. So there's a couple of things I want to talk about. I, and I want to, I want to put a pin in the idea of talking about, some some of the kind of lyrical themes on the record but the since you brought up space and we're talking about space how like what you've been doing this a long time and, and you've, you've made all kinds of different records with all kinds of different people what what kind of lessons have you learned like where did you learn those lessons i guess I, I mean to say about space and where to put things and where when you should let like give the break for the listener is that something that you sort of just develop through practice or are there, are there moments that kind of you've learned lessons about space specifically in music? Uh, it, it's a constant learning process to trust your intuition. 
and everybody who's made anything, uh, no matter what it is, has listened to somebody else and, but in their heart, they thought, ah, that's not right. And then you go ahead with it anyway, because they make a good case for it and, and you get convinced and then, then it's done. And then you, you hear it or look at it for the first time you go, yeah, I still hate that part. (laughs) (laughs) And I hate, and I sort of hate myself for listening to that person uh, who convinced me. Um, You know, in the, in the last, um, last three records for sure, like Keeper and The Westerner and this one, it's the Keeper was kind of my tribute to 70s uh, songwriter stuff. There's, you know, I could say that, well, this one was influenced by Joni Mitchell and that one was influenced by the band. And this one was influenced by, you know, Neil Young, even though it, it all sounds like the same band, but um, uh and then the Westerner was was all there were guest singers, but pretty pretty much a core band. So uh, I just think I've been you know traveling towards this uh, economy and and space, and it's like putting into practice that old saying that you think you know, which is like less is more. Mm. You you find out the actual definition of that of that saying. Mm. Wow. Okay. So I'm glad you brought up the Westerner because I wanted to talk about it a little bit and, and kind of in, in comparison to this, you know, I, it's really fun. This has been so much fun to prepare for, um, for a lot of reasons. And one is like, I'm just, I was going into this pretty ignorant about seventies and eighties punk music in LA. Like I didn't know the first, I didn't know shit. <laughs> right. And oh. I, I grabbed your book. <clears throat> um, I was born in 1980. So it's like right. a history project for me in a lot of ways. Right. Nice. So I've been reading your book and I've been going down the road, listening to those records and having like, it's been super fun. Cause it's also kind of shattered my preconceived notions of what that music was like. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Um, and specifically, I was shocked by the instrumentation and the complexity of some of those songs from, from uh, X and from tons of other bands that I ended up getting into. But also in this process, there's been these kind of beautiful kind of cosmic moments or whatever. Like I was at the record store and I, and I just, my local record store here in Orlando, and I was just thumbing through the UCDs and I found a copy of the Westerner a few weeks ago. And so I was like, well, this is perfect. You know, I've been needing one to do this research anyway. And I spent a lot of time with that before I sat down with fables in a foreign land. Right. And there's certainly some commonalities between the records, but they're different in many ways too, as yeah. I listen to them. And so I'm curious about sort of, you know, what you have to say about the difference in how you approach the Westerner, which is also a wonderful record. And then how you came into this record and the way that you approached this record creatively. Uh, well, you know, you, you just, you write a bunch of stuff and then you figure out how it fits together. Mm. Um, that's how the Westerner came, came to be. Um, I also reconnected with, uh, with my friend, Hal Gelb, who's, uh, you know, one of the kind of, uh, godfathers of desert rock, they call it, you know, mm-hmm. stuff that comes out of, um, Tucson and, and Arizona. And uh, I, I kind of love his take on psychedelic psychedelia because um, that also has a lot of space. And I was visiting a friend who was uh, 
not doing too well. And he uh, actually passed away right, right before we were recording. And um, so that was kind of dedicated to him. And, um, and then as, as this record was, you know, taking shape, I, I'm just, I'm okay with technology. I'm glad that we're talking on a fucking computer. <laughs> however, however, what we gain versus what we lose, uh, I, I, we don't know what that equation is. And I don't think we're actually uh, gaining much because we're so disconnected from nature and the, and, and, you know, so there were a few songs that, that could have taken place in the 1890s. And then I thought, Oh, well, why don't I, you know, I'll, I'll try being disciplined and yes, it's a bit of a concept record, but it doesn't have to be pretentious like a concept record. Uh, so hopefully I, I mean, according to you, I succeeded. So that's good. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Cause I, I think it is interesting. I like in the press materials, it talks about it being a concept set album. And I guess, of course it, it is, you know, it takes place in the 1890s and there, right. there is a specific, there is a theme to it. Um, but if, yeah, if your goal was to not, have it be too like self-important or something like that or self-indulgent right. it certainly right. is not um well you know the, the other th the other similarity between you know a, a, what what i relate to in in music is um when when you're listening to a song that's elemental you know that's like where it, it doesn't have to be, you can see the, the time and place, but it doesn't have to be a specific year and, or, or a specific culture. Um, there were a few songs on that, uh, on the Westerner record. There are a few songs on the early X records and, or any, any of those where you do have a time and a place and you can see people and there's you know images and it's cinematic and stuff like that. But it's kind of like, you know, there's a, there are one or two people and then there's a house and then there's a, you know, there's something happening between those people in that house. And, you know, so that, that appeals to me and whether it's, you know, cat power or, uh, you know, just pick somebody, you can usually go there. And, and that, that's what appeals to me. You know, that, that's what I try to, that's what I strive for uh, to in, in writing a, or, writing and singing a song that yes yes right like isn't that that's such the those are the, the the pieces of work that hit so hard the ones that might have a theme for example the uh, 1890s and and still become so universal right something yeah. that that we can we can relate to so well. And I'm, I'm interested in what you said about the tech balance. Cause it's, it's definitely a constant struggle for me and I'm with you. Like I'm not clearly not anti-tech I'm, you know, on this MacBook air, brand new MacBook air. And I have my brand new iPhone in my pocket, but, <laughs> but dude, nine months ago, I had a literal flip phone, you know, and now I've gone completely in the other direction. Mm. Um, and because it, to me, like striking that balance ha is hard and I, I don't do it well. Uh, I don't think, but I'm constantly working on it. I'm trying to figure it out. Right. So I'm that's all, if, we, can, right? that's all well, we can do, man. That's what I wonder is like, do you have a specific practice that you have where like, I don't touch the computer till a certain time or anything like that, that you do to sort of process it in that way? Uh, I just try to be aware of, of how much 
and and realize that it's just that dopamine hit that you're looking for and you know you don't drink all the time although you know if you drink alcohol it's fun sometimes yeah. you know but but you know that like if you have more than two drinks you're probably going to regret it right <laughs> right know? so no I, I don't have i'm not that disciplined to to you know not do something until a certain time but i always am kind of have have some awareness and intent to say okay that's enough of that and kind of put it down that's a couple of times you brought up discipline and um on Chris Shiflett's podcast, Walking the Floor, a few years ago, you were talking about, it was right about the time, I guess, that uh, Under the Big Black Sun, your book came out. And you yeah. were talking about, um, and I don't want to misquote you here, but uh, basically you were like talking about how much work it is <laughs> and sort of talking about like mm -hmm. not having done this before because it was so much work. And then you're just talking about discipline. Right. But like you, I mean, you've done so much and you continue to do so much. So I'm interested in that sort of that process for you clearly you work a lot and like it so are you a get you have a routine or are you somebody who has to just sort of work in a flurry when the inspiration strikes like what does all that on a sort of more granular level look like for you yeah uh i think i think a lot of it has to do with um uh like life force some people are cool just, uh, you know, hanging out and, you know, just enjoying their lives and other people have, you know, something that drives them to do more. And, and it's probably not better or worse either, either way. I'm, I'm not that, um, disciplined except when there's like something to do when, you know, once, once we started doing this rehearsal, uh, once a week, then, then it was like, and maybe by, uh, we started in April of 2020 and by August, it was like, oh, we've got a project now. We've got something we can do. And so then it was like, okay, I'm, I'm in, I'm, I'm full on looking through my notebooks that I've kept for the last two or three years and going to try to assemble this. Um, as far as writing, I, I, I did have a, a regimen of getting up and, and writing first thing in the morning <laughs> when I was working on, on that book and I would, uh, or the, and the one after it. But I mean, I didn't want to be the authority on punk rock from 77 to 82. I didn't want to, I didn't want that weight. Mm. And, you know, once we came up with the idea of having other people write, then we realized <laughs> Excellent. We don't have to do all the work. <laughs> <laughs> so it's this is a good thing. And because also because then you get a true perspective from somebody else. Then you get Jane Wheedland's perspe perspective or, um, you know, all the, all the different people, you know, Henry Rollins perspective. And, yeah. and, and so, yeah, it, it worked out.
It did work out. I like that choice a lot. I, I think it's really interesting um, to see it from those different perspectives because you're not just getting it from the musicians either. You're getting it from people who were, were running the clubs and people who were music journalists and like you're getting, yes. you know, a lot of different perspective on that. And all of those people are so important to a scene, whatever that scene is. Exactly. And that particular scene was so influential and continues to be so influential that it's super important that you got those perspectives. Right? Yeah. Well, the, and, and then the second book, um, we spread out a little bit more and got uh, Allison Anders and Shepard Ferry and Tim Robbins and uh, Tony Hawk and, uh, and people that, that took whatever that music for the second five years was and kind of applied it to their artistic, you know, vision so, so they could... They, they could talk about that. They could, you know, show, show the reader how, how that influenced them and what they did with it. One of the things that comes out, um, kind of building on what I was just saying about everybody being involved in the book is that like one of the things that comes out is the, is the um, aesthetic of the scene at that time in the late seventies and early eighties the um and then and then the enduring influence of some of those things i see a lot now and it's really it's fun to me and it's interesting but like zines making a comeback for example and um you know seeing uh flyers for shows as i was flipping through the as i was like reading through and and as i was flipping through some of the uh later pages (laughs) i was seeing some of these fly the, the examples of flyers in there from that from back then and how much that is being emulated now when I'm, you know, going around to music venues here in Orlando, even in, in mm. today. And I'm really interested in like whether or not you see something today that co- sort of has that kind of influence. If if a scene like that exists in whatever that modern sense would be. Um, I, I, I don't know if it's. <laughs> I'm not young enough to, to, to be part of that. And that's good. Mm. But I, I do know that there are a few, um, a few bands that I, young bands that, that take some of that, um, add in some of the sound from Seattle or Detroit, you know, in, in their perspective, rock and roll heydays. And, um, you know, they're, they're doing their thing. And, and they all kind of know each other and they, you know, tour together and, and things like that. Um, one, a, a couple of bands like that are uh, Skating Polly, who we've toured with and Xene was uh, produced one of the records when they were really young. Uh, the band Surfboard is another one. Uh, great woman who lead, who's the lead singer of theirs. Um, there's this band Shannon and the Clams who, who now is getting pretty pretty well-known, which, uh, which understand the, the ethic of kind of songwriting and they're, and, and they know punk rock. They don't necessarily play punk rock, but you know, they, they're influenced. They, they've got that in their, uh, vocabulary and stuff. Yeah. And there's also, there's also some, some like folk singers, uh, kind of young blues singers that are, that are doing really well with that as well. There's a, a woman named Sunny War, who's from LA uh, just recently moved to Nashville. And there's a, a guy here in Austin 
called uh, Buffalo Nichols. Love him. And uh, yeah, he's fucking good. He's legit. He opened for the drive-by truckers back in October in Minneapolis. And I went to the show. Yeah. I just went in totally cold, had no, no concept of who he was and just yeah. blew my mind. He's legit, man. So you didn't, you, you moved to Austin not that long ago, right? It's about five years ago, but you know, the, the other thing I, I think the, I don't know if, if people making flyers are emulating as much as they're just like, this is an easy way to make a flyer. Oh. Like you, 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 you cut out some picture that is a like social commentary. Cause it's, you just can't believe that this is like reality. Cause it's so skewed. It's, it's so like, really, you know, having Ron DeSantis as your fucking governor, you know, we've got another, you know, we've got the, the com- yeah. competing yeah. Uh, Marvel comic villain yeah. in a motherfucking wheelchair. Who's just like, Nobody seems to get it, you know, that his whole his whole uh, policy of, of doing these secondary inspections at uh, at the Mexican border, yeah. the U.S.-Mexico border is like you are fucking everybody and you're and you're creating a worse a worse like um, inflation problem and supply chain problem, all this stuff. And nobody seems to like want to call him on his bullshit. So. That's I, I think that all those sort of elements are like easy fodder and you can just and you can cut them out and you can paste them up and you can go to a, you know, Kinko's and Xerox up a bunch of shit. And it's not, you know, you don't have to be a, a fancy graphic artist. Right. Oh, so what keeps you from doing like um, something more t- like what you just like? I mean, today the news is full of uh, DeSantis is up to some just crazy fuckery today like he was on he was on one today um even even more so than he normally is and um (laughs) like what yeah i mean it's it's like bad satire or something like a dystopian satire is what's happening and and it's interesting too because i think this is the thing you you mentioned not calling them on their bullshit but what's interesting to me is like florida's a purple state like it's a complicated melting pot of a place it's not like he won by twenty thousand votes or something when he ran for governor mm-hmm. um and there's like seventy thousand disney employees or something which is interesting um and <laughs> might might have something to do with what happens next but yes. i you know it's really interesting to me thinking about as an artist you know and you know you have been an artist through several different kind of political climates what stops you from or from doing sort of a more topical, um, you know, protest record, so to speak? Is that something that interests you at all? Um, or is that something that maybe isn't something that you're into? I, I, I don't think I'd be very good at it. Oh, interesting. You know, Exene wrote uh, The New World and I Must Not Think Bad Thoughts, which are probably the most political you know, songs that we, that we did. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I guess it doesn't, it doesn't, it, I, I try to, you know, vote with my dollars and vote, you know, at the voting booth. Um, and that's about it. I, I don't think I'd be good. I, I, I like bigger. I, I like, um, yeah. 
things that aren't topical. It, like we were, <laughs> Exene was smart in not mentioning Ronald Reagan in either one of those songs, because then you can apply it to, you know, it was better before they voted for what's his name. Mm. There's always another what's his name. True. They just yeah. seem to be a little more more open about their bigotry these days than they used to be. Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> seems like they can get away with it. It's it's pretty crazy. Yeah, it is wild. Um, in fables, with fables in a foreign land and being set in such a specific um, kind of time and place, did you do research? Like, were was it something that you were just sort of trying to channel um, from what you'd experienced and read and consumed before? Or were you like, you know, reading things about the 1890s and watching films set then and so forth? Um, no, I did not do a academic uh, kind of research on it. I, I did listen to um, a, a little more string band music and the Mississippi shakes, cheeks and, uh, you know, some things like that. But it was just my version of folk music. Hmm. Yeah, I just kind of uh, used imagination and what would it be like? That's that's how maybe the song um, See the Almighty happened because we all have that feeling of like being forsaken. We all have like, why me, God, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's, the, what's the Judy Bloom book? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't remember. Oh, it's like, hello, God, it's me. Marjorie or whatever it's called. Oh. I can't. It's a famous, it's a famous kid's book. Yeah. Which is basically asking the same question. Um, oh, I wonder if I was that one was like banned for me. I read a lot of Judy Bloom, but I grew up in the Baptist church. I wonder if that one was like maybe, kept from me. Maybe so. But um yeah, it wasn't it wasn't academic. Uh I, I've been sort of fascinated by Native American culture, fascinated by by some, you know, like pre-industrial things and uh, or pre-industrial stories and yeah, so I pretty much just used what I had and and uh, let the imagination take over. Very interesting. It, what is it about the West that inspires you? Um, you've briefly touched on that when you talked about the Westerner yeah. earlier. But like, what what is it about? You know, you've lived out west for a long yeah. time now um it certainly is a theme that comes up in your work what is it about uh, i think it's I, I think it's possibilities and freedom and space hmm. yeah i was and, just and i i love the fact that there's you know with the, within all this reckoning that we've been going through that that there's you know a bigger story to be told at this point you know that there that it's not just a like here's your cowboy story here's your native american story here's your you know black experience story there there are all these other sides to history that are that are coming out that's you know that's it's going to be difficult but it's ultimately more balanced and good oh i love that I, it's, yeah. it's so important i 100 percent agree with you and i i think it's you know, this has especially come to the forefront with in well, fucking here in Florida, with um, basically huge parts of history being banned, not being allowed to be taught in schools, books being banned from being taught. Um, yeah. 
beautiful pieces of work like the 1619 project, which I recently finished and that, that right. built on years and years of work that I've been doing with my day job in terms of my understand, built my understanding a little bit deeper, right. Of things right. that I've, I've worked on as an educator for almost 15 years. Um, but it is really interesting to think about the idea that it's, that it is messy and that it's necessary, but also that it is happening. Right. So like, sometimes it feels I feel despair when I see the headlines, but that we are in a public fashion wrestling with these things that we maybe as a society, I would say as a society have not even come close to um, uh, addressing. So there's maybe a little bit of hope there too, in the idea of zooming out a little bit. And that, that can be the place where instead of a topical record, kind of a record with more, with bigger themes can be so important. Yeah. Um, let's hope so. I mean, people have just got to take their lumps and, and wise up and, and get rid of their egos so that they can accept that stuff. Hmm. Yeah. Speaking of taking lumps, thinking back to like, um, <laughs> thinking back to the punk scene in the, in the seventies and eighties and then um, late seventies and eighties and, and then all the way through to today, you, what like creative lessons have you learned through that time, especially as you know, your music has gone in different directions and come back in some ways and you've done a lot of right. different things and not only your music, but I do also want to kind of get into some other aspects of your creative life. Like how has your, how, how has your creative process sort of evolved over that time? Uh, trying to work smarter not harder and i know that's a overused phrase but at this point when x goes on tour we're not putting shows back to back to back to back to back for you know six weeks at a time we'll we'll play hard you know but have have a, a day off after three or four or five shows and if we're, you know, if we have a long drive, then, and we'll try to play a, a nicer place and stay in a little bit better hotel. I mean, whatever we can afford <clears throat> and still, you know, make, make money, you know, to keep our career going. Yeah. Um, and I think the same thing goes for the creative thing is to, you know, kind of wait until you feel you got the time and the space to, to make something and then, and then really hunker down and, and, and do it. Um, so, yeah. And, and feeling really grateful that everybody, you know, say in, in a band setting, or if you're going to work with just, uh, you know, on a solo project that people want to do it, that people still have the, um, the interest and the, and, and, the health and, and all that kind of stuff to do it. Um, I've had to, to look for some substitutes for the, for this trio because Kevin Smith, the bass player plays with Willie Nelson. And of course we defer to Willie Nelson <laughs> because if you don't, you're going to go to hell yeah, right. <laughs> or, or something bad something very karmically bad is going to happen to you. But anyway, and that's his, you know, that's his main gig, but I've called a few drummers and a few bass players and they're saying like, yeah, I'm not really playing live that much anymore. After the last couple of years, I had to, you know, do some other stuff and I, I can't take the time out to, 
to go and play, you know, three or four shows with you here and there. And it's like, that's cool. They're still doing music. They're just, you know, doing more studio work or they're, you know, trying to, you know, write songs for a publishing, you know, group or whatever. So it's interesting. That is interesting in some ways depressing, but at the same time, as long as they're still finding creative work in some way and work that fulfills them. Yeah. Cause I think that's the other thing about this whole couple of years. that has been interesting is just how much it has. And this comes through in fables in a foreign land, how it created this space for us to have to like, we didn't have a choice. We had that space and what, yeah. where we ended up going with it. I mean, my life is way better today than it was pre pandemic. You know, you know, like way better, really? of course. Yeah. Yeah. Everything about it's better. I mean, because I had that, I was forced to stop and go like, is this <laughs> job that I had serving me? Right. right? Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't. And so I found a new one and that one's awesome. And then yeah. that one might be coming to an end soon because it was created for the pandemic. And now people are pretending like there is no pandemic. So Um, I might have to find something else and I'm kind of excited about it. You know, I'm kind of excited about the prospect of like, I'm now forced in this other direction. And before I'm, I'm such a creature of habit that I would have probably stayed in the particular lane that I was in, if not forced outside, which, which kind of makes me curious about all the things that you've done as an actor and as a, a, a poet and as a songwriter, all these different things that you've done like how you make those choices of where to put your energy because you know because we only have a certain amount of time you know and and creative capital yeah um well you 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 have to go where the where the work is and you and i for doing solo stuff i kind of look at the calendar look at my watch and go oh my god it's been five years since I made a record. I guess <laughs> get off my ass and do this. Um, although we're touring all the time and things. That's um, funny. As far as poetry, I, I actually have a poetry group that I get together with uh, cool. online once a month. We have a Zoom call. Cool. And uh, they're people that I've known for years, people that I went to school with back in Baltimore. Um, but I just started doing that during the pandemic. Um, I... I think making those choices, uh, it, it does sort of tangentially relate to the, to the new record, but because at the very beginning, the, the, the person narrator has to leave and knows that they're never going to come back because there's nothing to come back to. That's done. That, that thing is over. And then it was, uh, lucky coincidence or just fate that a lot of those topics were about isolation and loneliness and, and, and then, Oh shit, look at us. We're isolated and lonely and can't hang out with people. Uh, so that, that was kind of rewarding in, in thinking that if it's going to have a dark theme like that, then people could relate to it and they could maybe find some, uh, you know, find something in that. And that's really interesting. I hadn't really thought about that aspect of the pandemic, the idea that we, a lot of us did have to leave things. And like I said, for me, I went to something better, you know, so that makes it easier to leave something behind, but that is always difficult to wrestle with that leaving a thing and 
being comfortable with that that thing's not there anymore. Yes, there is a, a push and pull between comfort and adventure. Yeah. Do you want to have an adventure or do you want to just stick with your comfort? Right. It's hard. It's really hard to, you know, venture out and, and not know where you're going to go or what's going to happen. So it takes, what, it takes something. Yeah. Is there like a practice with that that you do uh, like for, for you personally in terms of dealing with that tension? Is there anything that you do to process that? Yes. <laughs> every, every morning I tell myself that I, um, I'm going to be open and I'm going to be uh, and I'm going to listen and I'm going to, you know, uh, be, <laughs> be gentle and generous and grateful. Wow. And, and uh, I don't know, I mean, it's just a reminder and, and I, but having seen uh, people in later stages of life that have contracted and end up living in a very small world, I know that that's not what I want to do. And, and it happens a lot and it's, it's really, um, it's real and it's, understandable because people get scared and they, they they don't understand what's going on but if you can continue to expand i i have that's my hope is i can continue to to see new things and and not be af afraid of them and try to understand them and and you know expanding rather than contracting man that's really hitting home just thinking about people in my life who are yeah. at that place where their lives have contracted so much and they're old and I, you know, trying to learn lessons from that and not, not be that because I think I am predisposed in some ways to contracting. It's not necessarily being closed-minded, but sort of like in a control aspect to be able to control my life, I guess is what I mean. Right. I'm definitely yeah. open to new ideas, but and, and probably always will be, I expect I always will be, but the, the idea of like letting go, because there's a certain level of having to, to let go of sort of control of your own yeah. circumstances to be in that place where you're not contracting. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a lot of energy to, to maintain control. <laughs> it, does. It's, it's, it does. It's a lot easier to say, Oh, fuck it. It'll, figure itself out <laughs> That's so I, the, the one thing I've, I've learned in the last couple five years or so is um if there's a particularly thorny um incident that that i feel like it should be resolved i'll just let it go for like a day and a half and just see if something else comes in to resolve it for me you know if there's like something that i'm you know can't quite figure out with a band member or a, you know, something is going on. And I feel like, Oh God, man, I got to get in there and I got to, I got to, you know, I got to figure out how this is going to all play out. I got to, I got to do something. And it's like, just hold on a minute, just see what happens. And then sometimes they'll come back and say, actually, you know, I see your point of view or uh, how about this? And I go, Oh, thank God. <laughs> I didn't have to get in there and, make the you know recipe for this uh, solution it just happened or, oh, the, or the gig or like maybe let's say you're you're like 
should we play this show? Should we do this thing? Should we not do this thing? And then the thing gets canceled. And you yeah. go, oh, great. I avoided this whole like confrontation and all this like back and forth and this and that and everything. It's like, oh, good. Something interceded. I didn't have to. <laughs> oh, that is so great. <laughs> it's a lazy man's way of uh, letting things <laughs> resolve. I, I don't know. I feel like there's a certain prudence to that approach. And, you know, it, if you let it go too long, then then maybe you're getting lazy. But yes. just to provide, we circle, you know, bringing it back to space, space in music, but also space in life and help right. making sure that, and the, the lack of urgency that I felt during the pandemic, uh, especially the height of it when things were still mostly locked down everywhere, but Florida Yes, is that like, I didn't feel that sense of urgency that I normally would feel about even small things. And so that helped me to have more space to think, which then positively mm -hmm. impacted so many other aspects of my life. So I think there's not necessarily a lazy approach, but like a prudent approach to the idea of just giving a little bit of space for things to kind of play out before having to yes. make a decision. I love that. I'm going to yeah. take that. Steal sure. That. Yeah, I'm, I'm in. <laughs> um john this has been great and i don't want to take too much more of your time but you mentioned some bands earlier that especially some young bands that you um have been into uh we always end on what you're getting down on so that is the art that you has you inspired that could be music that you're listening to it could be a book that you're fired up about or maybe even something that you're making uh right. film you know whatever it is like what's got you fired up right now uh well all those uh all those artists that I talked about, there's another guy named Trey Burt. I love uh, Trey Burt. Yeah. Oh he's, my God. he's really good. Um, at some point this year or next year, we're going to, uh, Grantley Phillips and uh, Kristen Hirsch and I are going to do the Exile Follies again. And uh, that's just kind of like the three of us just playing individually and together. Okay. Uh, doing a tour we might even record something um i worked on a movie in florida and it's a re in up in saint augustine cool it's a remake of the uh film noir movie called doa with Evan o'brien and uh we're trying to find a, a way to get that out whether it's distributed or film festivals and stuff like that very cool i'm not familiar yeah. with that film what can you say more about it is there uh yeah, you can just look it up. It's it's a it's a story of a guy who the it's got a great beginning and in the we we tried to we rewrote the script. I I didn't, but a friend of mine did. Uh, tried to give it make it more have more sense. And it's and his favorite movie is Chinatown, so it it's like powers at play, you know, things at play that nobody really knows what's going on. Kind of a typical um film noir movie but it has the the similar first similarity is the very beginning is this guy stumbles into a, the police department and says i want to report a murder and they say oh yeah who got murdered and the the lead guy says i did and that's why it's called doa dead on arrival yeah and then you go into flashback and you find out all the shit that went down and how how it happened very cool. Yeah, and Very we cool. did it in in period. We did it like it was 1949. And, you know, St. Augustine has got all that 
Spanish moss and it's all very old fashioned and stuff like that. So, yeah, cool. yeah, it's perfect for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and then I'm, I'm reading a, another book by Haruki Murakami, who's one of my faves and uh, um, which one? Yeah, I think that's, uh, I, I can't remember the title of it right now. I could, I could run into my bedroom and <laughs> uh, it's not a big deal. I've only read, I've read um, what I talk about when I talk about running and um, yes, that's and, a good one. Yeah. And then uh, colorless uh, Sakura Tazaki and his pilgrimage of years. Another right. Murakami that I absolutely loved, but yeah. he's got so much, um, you know, I need to, I need to pick. In fact, I'm just about done with your book, so that's that's a good inspiration to pick up. Maybe like I've never read Norwe Norwegian Wood, for example. So Nor it's a great it's a great love story. Yeah, yeah, really. Uh, he just really focused on, you know, this uh, relationship, and it's yeah. beautiful. Do you yeah. more Kami? You know, is I mean, obviously, he's just an amazing author. Are there particular authors or genres that you gravitate toward when you're reading? uh fiction yeah I, I i read very little nonfiction, but um i you know it's it's all within the the simplicity and storytelling and and that kind of thing yeah are you when you're reading fiction are you mining it for ideas also or are you just sort of like in the moment enjoying the experience <laughs> i try just to enjoy it yeah. and if there's a particular moment or image it'll it might come back in in um yeah i'm, I'm not taking notes okay saying, right. oh yeah i'm gonna steal that i'm gonna not steal an that. annotating dog no. hearing yeah. no i'm not gonna do that yeah. uh john this has been an honor thank you so much well, absolutely uh um all right jason well dude i appreciate you so much until the next awesome. time I'll, I'll i'll try to get down to florida Oh yeah, that that would be great. I would love to see you live. So hopefully yeah. that happens. All right, All right man. man. Have a great Take night. Take care. Yeah, you too. See John Doe, y'all. Thank you so much, John. Thank all of you for listening. Fables in a Foreign Land is available for purchase at thejohndoe.com. That's T-H-E-E, johndoe.com. Give the record a spin. It is absolutely wonderful. The song you're hearing in this episode is Destroying Angels from Fables in a Foreign Land. The tune was co-written by John and Shirley Manson. Shirley of garbage fame there's also a wonderful garbage version of that song marinadepodcast.com for all things the marinade including written pieces photography our online store and more follow us on instagram and twitter subscribe and give us a five-star rating on your podcast app tell a friend about the show these are all free ways to support the marinade if you really like what we're doing please consider joining our patreon community for just a few bucks a month, you can gain access to Patreon-exclusive content like our show Jason's Journey, where I talk about the moments that shape my creative life and provide a window into the process of making the marinade. I just dropped an episode of Jason's Journey where 
I'm kind of talking about the way I'm thinking about the show and its structure. If you're new here, I'm willing to bet that there are some John Doe fans who are listening to the Marinade for the first time. Welcome. Thank you so much for for checking us out and for listening. Um, That Patreon is a a way to connect a little bit deeper with the show. Uh, Sometimes I'll put on bonus content. Um, Van Plating and I had a wonderful conversation that just went too long for a future episode, so I released part of that on Patreon. Uh, Jordan Foley and Thomas Wynn talked to me about the process of making Jordan and his band The Wheelhouse's record. That's up there on Patreon. You can actually check that out for free if you want to just kind of get a little taste of what the Patreon is like. I also post what I'm getting down on, which is an examination of the art that's inspiring me at the moment. Sometimes we get together for Patreon happy hours, patreon.com slash marinade podcast. If you're interested, if you don't want to make that monthly commitment and you just go, hey, you know what? I really enjoyed this episode or that episode, and I want to just throw a little tip that way. Um, you can just Venmo or PayPal us if you want to do so. It's just at the marinade. All the money goes right back into making the show, everybody. We're saving up to cover the Philly Folk Fest. I'd really like to get out to Iowa for Hinterland. Um, and your contributions make that happen. But above all, just thank you so much for listening, everybody. There's a couple of new kind of new things with the show that I want to make sure everyone's aware of. I've been making a weekly title playlist. It's called Marinade Musings. You can find that on our social media or you just go and type Marinade Musings into the title search bar. Title has a free tier now. I don't think everybody knows that. So if like you were holding back from using it because of the paywall, you, you can just pull up these things for free. Um, You kind of have some limited capability because it is free, of course, and there are ads, but it's not like Spotify where you get tons and tons of ads. It's just every once in a while. I highly recommend title. If you haven't checked it out, I don't, they're not a sponsor of the show or anything like that. I just think it's a wonderful product that also pays people for their work. Right. So um, you can kind of feel a little bit better about streaming that music. There is no substitute for physical copies. Of course, go to thejohndoe.com to get a copy of Fables in a Foreign Land and support artists directly as much as you can. But also, you know, hey, we've got the access to the streaming, so title is a good way to do that. My marinade musings is just like a short list of songs that I find interesting, some stuff I'm letting sort of marinate. So check that out, everybody, over on title. The other thing I want to announce is that I've been... Um, you know, I've kind of tried to, in the, in the last year and a half or so, take my political thoughts off of Twitter and make them a little bit more uh, nuanced and long form. So if you go to medium.com and type in the marinade or medium.com slash at marinade podcast, you'll find some kind of uh, some things that don't necessarily fit in the context of the marinade proper, don't really fit necessarily on the website. But thoughts that I have about politics, I recently wrote something about being a teacher and facing um, the threat of gun violence as a teacher and sort of my evolution politically when it comes to my thoughts about guns and gun policy in this country that I don't necessarily want to put in this space, but I also don't want to be silent about. So check that out if you're interested. Everybody, thank you so much. We've got Lenny Jones coming up next, the next episode, and then we have some things booked that are really exciting, um, really, really cool stuff coming up for the show. I'm so grateful for every single one of you who listens. Until next time, go out and create something. Cheers, y'all.